0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be chatting about tourism in this city. There are talks about what to do with wild waterworks, which is one of the things you could do here. But when people come, what do you do with them? What's the thing that is Hamilton? We'll talk about that. Uh, We're going to be chatting about the idea of buying local. We hear that a lot. The federal government is about to launch a big buy local program. What does it mean? And does it work? And can it work? at least as we hear people talk about it. Oh, and we will also be chatting with Elsa from the Broadway production of Frozen because she's a Hamilton woman. Casey Levy is the star of that show. It's about to wrap, but she is going to be here in town for a concert this weekend. We'll be chatting with her as well. Stick around.
1: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: Story was out today, uh, reading about this in the spec. The... Wild Waterworks, you know, I mean, many of you, probably most of you at some time or another have been there, the water park off the highway on the way Niagara bound, just on Stony Creek when you're going through there uh, at Confederation Park, you know where it is. So it's right off the side of the highway. Apparently the story is that the city is trying to decide what to do about this because it's been about 30 years and there's really not lately been any new attractions, any new slides. It's been at least a decade or so since anything new happened there. And so there's concern that this attraction is going to begin to fall off a bit. I mean, who wants to go to an old theme park, water park? I mean, as on, a, on a hot summer day, it's still pretty good, but there are concerns. What do we do about this? Do we pour millions of dollars into fixing this up or do we let it run down or do we shut her down or what do we do? And I'll, I'll let you discuss that one. But it thought made me contemplate a, a broader question. And that is, okay, so we live in Hamilton, many of us, in the Hamilton area. And you've got someone who comes to visit you or is coming to visit you. And you're planning out your time with them. You're planning out your trip with them. Where do you take them? What is the What is the tourist thing that you immediately think of in Hamilton and say, okay, someone's coming to visit from outside the city. Here is what they must see. I mean, look, if you're in Toronto, CN Tower, that's an easy one. Maybe Casa Loma. Rogers Centre, I suppose. You go to a Jay's game. I mean, there, there are some easy ones. Montreal, you can go to the old city of Montreal. You can, I mean, there's lots of different things. All the cities in Canada, Ottawa has a million because of the government stuff. But in Hamilton, if you have someone coming to visit you What is the thing? Where is the place? What do you do? What is the tourist attraction? Or maybe it's not even a tourist attraction. Maybe it's just somewhere you really know that's a secret. Where's the thing? You take them. We're going to go to the calls. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. If you have something that is top of your list, I'd love to hear from you. What would you do? Where do you take someone? Before we get there though, I want to tell you there is a website called thecrazytourist.com. And they came up with their list of the top places to go in Hamilton. And I don't know whether this is inspiring or discouraging. The first one's, okay, so d- just to tell you where we go in here. The first one is Dundurn Castle. The second idea that they would have would be the Warplane Heritage Museum. The third thing they would say is the Haida. then they would say the farmers' market downtown and number five and there's other things after this one I'm only going through the top five would be African lion Safari. And when I say this is I don't know if it's encouraging or discouraging Dundern Castle is a cool place. I've been there a number of times it's interesting to see that's uh, that's absolutely a fair thing on the list and warplane Heritage Museum is Oh, is wonderful. That absolutely should be on the list. And the Haida, okay. All right. The Haida, sure. War, warship down. We seem to have a theme going here, but anyway, okay, so the warship down in the harbor. But after that, the farmer's market, like there's not a farmer's market in every single city in the world. And the African Lion Safari, that's barely, I don't even know if it is in Hamilton city limits. It's certainly on the periphery. That's So we've hit three. We've we've essentially, according to this, oh, then they say waterfalls, which is great, except that now the city is trying to tell you not to park at most of the waterfalls, so you can't go there. So we've essentially almost, according to this list, oh, th- then they say the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, well, that's closed down, so we can't go there anymore. And Now it's relocated sort of to Tim Horton's field. The art gallery, fine, but there's art galleries everywhere. Ours, you know, I'm not taking a shot at ours. There's some great exhibitions there. Uh, Then they say, eat at restaurants. Yes, Hamilton has fantastic food, but there's restaurants everywhere. Go to a festival. Same thing. So what seems to be happening here is this place, this website that is particularly looking to find things to do has run out of steam basically after three items. So I want to hear from you. you got to help because this is not, and Wild Waterworks didn't even make it. Oh, play a round of golf is next. The things they're saying are literally things you could do anywhere. Why come to Hamilton for this? 905-645-3221, star 9900. Robert is up first day. Robert, how are you? Not too bad. Excellent. What is your go-to place? If someone's coming to visit, where do you take them in Hamilton?
2: I have six of them. Hmm. Okay. Well, be my quick. First, well, my first places are, I there's lots of outcrops, and because we really don't have a restaurant on the side of the mountain, I have taken up uptie number of guests, and we do picnics, and we go right on the side of the mountain, we overlook here, and we have a great time there, a bottle of wine, stuff like that. We go all out. Okay. Okay. Then the second thing is, is that we go up to some of the local farms that are around here. If there's more good riding farms. And horse trails and everything around there than you've ever seen.
0: Okay. And what's number three? We got time for one more. Then I got to go to a break. Okay. What's number three?
2: And the other one would be when you go down to. Uh, we're talking about walk. We do a lot of walking. We do the the, uh, the uh, river trails that are here in the caves. Excellent. Up, up on top of the mountain.
0: Robert, thank you for that. That's excellent. I appreciate the call. Thank you very much. Sure. Uh, and all of those things are great. All those things are great. I'm not sure they're unique to Hamilton. In, in, a some, in some way they are, for sure. In some way they are. But I want to know, what is, the, what is the thing? What is Hamilton's thing?
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There's a discussion going
0: on about what to do with Wild Water Works, which is the water theme park off the side of the highway in Confederation Park area. Needs some updates, apparently. needs some work. But the question is, how much money do we put into this thing? Is it worth it? And as I said before the last segment, it got me thinking about, we want to be a tourist hub here. Hamilton, we want hotels. We want people to come here. And I got thinking, about, okay, but when people do come, if we do try to lure them here, we have cool stuff. We have great walking trails, as Robert just said before the break on the phone. We have water views. Now there may be some sewage floating in it these days, but okay. Um, But we have great places to live. I mean, this is not a dump on Hamilton by any stretch. I love this city. I love living here. But I'm trying to figure out what our tourist thing is. When someone comes here, where do you take them? What's the thing that when they leave Hamilton, they say, oh, you know what I saw? My buddy took me to this and wow, it was amazing. What is that thing? Every city has something, don't doesn't it? And we're mentioning this list and it's not the all-encompassing list. It is one list. There's other ones online, although many of the things overlap as I've looked up a bunch of them. The crazytourist.com 15 best things about Hamilton, Ontario. As in, you're going to travel around, you're going to visit the place. Here's what you go do. And we went through a bunch of them. Dundurn Castle and the Haida and Warplane Heritage. But then it starts to fall off and just become the standard thing that you could see anywhere, a farmer's market or restaurants or go, here, here's one, wander around a park. thats We're only at number 12 on this list, and we're already at wander around a park. We have some lovely parks, but really, you're going to come from somewhere else to Hamilton as a visitor, as a tourist, to wander around one of our parks. I mean, lovely as our parks are, we don't have Stanley Park here like in Vancouver. 905-645-3221, star 9900. I know that there are things you do with your friends when they come here to show them or take them somewhere. I want to know what those are. What are the things that really click with you? Head to the beach is one of the things on this list. Yeah. Don't dare go in the water or you might grow a third eye out of your forehead. But yes, yes, head to the beach, okay., uh, go shopping. Really? this is this is the the big discovery of Hamilton. Come here and go shopping because we have so many stores that don't exist anywhere else in the world. I mean look, we got great stores. But surely this can't be. What we do for tourists here. This can't be what we direct people to for tourism. Oh, and then number 15. Actually, this one's kind of cool. This should have been up higher. It says, Frighten Yourself. And it talks about the the Haunted Hamilton Ghost Walk. Uh, That's with uh, uh, Spooky Steph, I believe is her name. We've had her on the show before. She does things like this. Okay, so that one should have been up higher because at least that's unique. You go through some old places in town at night and they have the ghost stories and the things from... What happened in the past? Okay, so that one, yes, there. See, there's a perfect example. There's a good one. That's a good one. Unique to us. I want to hear from you. 905-645-3221, star 9900. I'm not saying we don't have the places. I'm saying what are the places? Because they're not being adequately covered on this list, I don't believe. George joins us now. George, how are you?
2: Yeah, good evening. Good, uh, uh Scott. I like to show people uh, the very first Tim Hortons on uh, Ottawa Street.
0: There's a good one. Absolutely. That's a good one, George, for sure. Yep. And thankfully, they fixed it all up.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and hopefully I'll get a free donut for this.
0: Hopefully you will. Yeah, go there and just tell them you talked about them on the radio. But, you know, even the fact that they have the Tim Hortons statue out front is something you can at least stop and get your picture with. It's a cool thing. It sure is. George, thank you for the call. That's That's a great one that should have been on any list. All right. Brian is up next. Brian, how are you?
2: Good Scott, how are you?
0: I'm good, thanks. What's on your list?
2: Well, I, one thing was the uh, Royal Botanical Gardens, but that's class in Burlington, really. We
0: can—I'll count that though. That's—I mean, if they come here, that—that that counts for sure.
2: Well, I tell you what, Scott. You know, the biggest draw for people that come to visit me is not aside from all the other things that you mentioned that are local, like the Castle, all that kind of stuff. The biggest draw for people that I have come in to visit me to want to see stuff is our location. The close proximity to all the other places that you can go.
0: Good point, Niagara Falls and and Toronto. Niagara Falls and all
2: that stuff.
0: Brian, I thought when you said, I thought you when you were going to say the biggest draw. I thought you were going to say you. (laughs) That's number number two on the list. Brian, I I appreciate the call. Thanks so much. Uh, Look, it, it is a it is a tricky one, and Brian's not wrong. Brian's not wrong. The location to go to Niagara Falls, how many people come here and immediately want to take off to go to Toronto or go to Niagara Falls? And it's not a simple thing to, to fix. And we do have great places. Robert, you know, I, I love what Robert said. You know, we have all these places to hike to and to go to and great places to, that people don't know about when they blow through here on the highway. But man, it's not as easy as easy it's not as easy as if you're living in Toronto or Ottawa or Vancouver or Montreal or something. It really isn't. And when, when, when outsiders who are looking at our list say one of the top things to do is wander around in a park or go shopping, that's, that's – I don't know what that says because we do have good stuff.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: I'm assuming that by now you have caught wind of the scandal du jour, the political uprising of our time. That would be uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in Winnipeg for a cabinet retreat buying donuts, not from Tim Hortons, but from a private local donutery. Is that an appropriate name, the proper name, a donutery? I'm not really sure. Anyway, donut store. Uh, outrage has brewed over this because, well, for a variety of reasons, none of which are making any sense. I'm not a fan of everything Justin Trudeau does, but come on, this, was, this criticism was ridiculous. This is stupid. Anyway, beyond that, this touched on an issue beyond just divisiveness in politics. It touched on and started a new discussion on buying food local, buying local food. The federal government, his federal government, is about to launch a $25 million campaign. And I don't think this was tied one to the next. It's a coincidence. But his government is about to launch a $25 million campaign to get people to buy locally, which sounds like a good idea. Is it? One of our favorite guests, Sylvain Charlevoix, the uh, food doctor, he is known, Senior Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University, joins us. Sylvain, thanks for doing this today. Not a problem. This idea of buying locally is as old as I can remember. This has been around forever, right? These these kind of pushes to get people to buy stuff from your own town or your own area?
2: Oh, absolutely. The buy local movement has been around for decades. Uh, In fact, in Ontario... Uh, you guys have a pretty good program called Foodland Ontario, and I'm sure most of your listeners would know it because uh, it's been going on for decades. I believe it's over three decades, and the idea was to encourage Ontarians to buy, well, from Ontario, to buy food from Ontario, and unlike cars or furniture or anything else, food is cultural, it's personal, and so you want to try to make sure that your your customers or your consumers are as close as possible to farmers, to distributors, to retailers, and, and so they can encourage um, uh, the, the rural economy in general. Uh, now, of course, with uh, this new initiative at the federal level, we haven't seen that before, but the feds are planning to spend $25 million over five years to entice Canadians to buy Canadian, not buy Ontario, not buy Ontario food, but buy Canadian in general.
0: But does okay? Uh, is that local? I mean, that's Canadian, but is that <laughs> is if I if I buy B.C. wine, am I buying local as opposed to buying Ontario wine? Or if I buy Ontario cheese or Quebec cheese, am I buying like what? What now constitutes local?
2: But, well, that's. That's exactly the point I, I was trying to make in my latest op-ed. Uh, what constitute local for the federal government? Now, of course, uh, the federal government actually wouldn't care if someone from Ontario buys wine from BC, because for the feds, it is local because it's from Canada. But let me actually add an extra layer of complexity here. Okay. When you look, when you actually read regs around labeling. There actually is a difference between products of Canada and products manufactured in Canada. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry. There's a difference between products of Canada and <laughs> products manufactured in Canada.
0: Well, be, and that makes sense. I mean, we see this with the auto trade all the time. Is a car made here or is it made with Canadian auto parts? And I suppose it's similar, but look, th- that that's a perfect... Thing That you bring up because this goes exactly to where this thing started with Trudeau and the donuts and people were saying he should have bought at Tim Hortons because that's a Canadian legendary Canadian company, but that's not owned by a Canadian overseer anymore. It's a Brazilian company, but yet many of the franchise owners and many of the workers are Canadian. So is Tim Hortons a Canadian company? I mean, it becomes very complicated.
2: Well, technically, Tim Hortons is a Canadian company because the head office is actually located in Hopeville. Right, but it's not necessarily Canadian owned. That's, that's right, and that's why now, it becomes
0: complicated.
2: Now, the Trudeau incident was, I think, a farce, and then you're yes. right. It's it's actually, I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but but the, but the man was actually trying to treat his employees by buying a local donut, and uh, of course a little bit pricier, but who cares? I mean, he was just trying to be nice and kind, and was offering a a unique product, a product that probably most of his cabinets wouldn't even know about. Uh, Tim Hortons, you can find a Tim Hortons product anywhere in Canada, really. Uh, But that's exactly the point I was trying to make. I mean, if you actually are to encourage Canadians to buy local, what does that really mean? A, A product of Canada really means that the ingredients inside whatever you're buying and the processing behind it uh, all occurred in Canada. So it was grown, produced in Canada. Ingredients are from Canada. A product manufactured in Canada is very different. You can actually buy a dill pickle, a jar of dill pickles, but the pickles wouldn't be actually from Canada. You could actually have a product, uh, in which all the ingredients are from abroad, but if the last processing step actually occurred in Canada, it can be considered as a cane product. And so my question, essentially, is this. Will this campaign support one or the other, or both?
0: It's, again, you would think that something like this would just be so easy. Hey, buy local, okay, fine, I'll buy local. That's super easy. Well, it's not really at all.
1: <laughs> You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: We are chatting about local food. The federal government is about to launch a program over the next five years. $25 million convincing you to buy local, although local could be coast to coast. That's not truly local by how we consider local. I want to bring back Dr. Sylvain Charlebois from the Dalhousie University uh, about this because... Uh, there are other issues as well. I think we we are very uh, cognizant. We hear all the time about people saying buy local. And on its face, it sounds very, very good. And I'm sure it is a very good idea. And we try to do it as much as we can. Let's go back to this thing, though, Sylvain, that started this discussion this week with the prime minister and the donuts in Winnipeg. Again, for the record, both of us think it was entirely stupid that anyone got upset about this. But one of the issues that came out of this was that it was pointed out that the A dozen donuts at this place can cost $47. And this, I think, is one of the big challenges of the buy local movement. Uh, Given an opportunity, if all was equal, I think most people would love the idea of buying locally. But oftentimes, buying local produce right from a farm or something is considerably more expensive. Not always, but often, than buying from a big chain store or something. How do you overcome that?
2: Good question. Uh, I would say if you're not careful, absolutely, it will cost you more. If you're a little more careful and less difficult, you can get away with uh, with paying the same amount. Uh, of course, Prime Minister actually uh, came, went into a store uh, probably for the first time and, and bought products. And I, I would probably argue that the products uh, that he bought for his cabinet were... Uh, we're superior in terms of quality. I suspect if you if you pay forty seven dollars, I assume <laughs> You know, they come with uh, some sort of golden flakes or something. <laughs> <laughs> But but essentially the, the, when you, you know, when you're buying local the, there is there is a, An experiential element uh, you are contributing to your own economy and typically People are willing to pay more if they're getting something different and something of higher quality. Sure. But, of course, uh, if you're talking about the same carrots or the same tomatoes, uh, price is king. Uh, obviously, consumers will always pick the lower price no matter where the product comes from. There's always a 5 to 10% chance that the person will actually still pay more for the same product if it's grown locally.
0: Right, I think your intentions may be great to say, I want to buy locally, but at some point you have so much money within your pocket, and if you, you know, it becomes more, all I'm saying is it becomes more difficult to continue to follow that up if the price is higher.
2: uh, Absolutely. Now, of course, the intent of this campaign, I think, is to educate people on what our agri-food sector can do, what, 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 what it provides to Canadians, but we have to be careful here. This is at the federal level. It's not like food land in Ontario. At the federal level, often governments get into trouble because they actually promote domestic products and create an unfair advantage uh, for their own products. Let me give you an example. Cool United States, the country of origin labeling initiative launched by the Americans about a decade ago, did exactly that. It actually encouraged Americans to buy American over imported products. They actually got slapped by the WTO because it was challenged. That issue was challenged by Canadians. Mm. We won over Americans against the Americans uh, on cool. So whatever we're trying to do here with the $25 million, we have to be very, very careful not to create this unfair advantage for our own products.
0: And you bring up a a fantastic point, because I believe, uh, with you saying that, if we caught wind up here that Donald Trump was saying, you know what, people in America should only buy American food and any kind of imported food, even though it's available, you should avoid it and buy American, we would lose our minds over that.
2: Exactly. So that's why, at the federal level, it's a totally different game. Many provinces, like Ontario, uh, have, have run successful bi-local campaigns over the years, but those campaigns always fly under the radar. In Ottawa, it's a different ballgame.
0: Just before I let you go, there's one other thing. Now, I don't expect suddenly, even with a campaign, that hordes and hordes of people are going to begin abandoning grocery stores and Tim Hortons and all the rest to go and shop at their local farmer's warehouse or roadside hut or anything like that, but let's say this had an, a, a decent effect and and a number of people a good percentage of people said you know I'm really gonna try and do this is there a chance that, like is there a chance that we hurt some of our own neighbors though because even though the big grocery stores may not be Canadian or some stores may not be Canadian our friends and our neighbors and our, our other people they they work there I mean we we, we don't want to not support people who are holding jobs even if the money may be going to big corporations do we
2: no, oh, no, that's that's true. I, I don't think I don't think this campaign will discriminate against any any companies, any sectors. In fact, it, this is not Health Canada. Health Canada will pick winners and losers in ag because it's not ag. For example, going back to the food guide, they basically decided that dairy is not in anymore. I mean, you can eat dairy, but it's no longer milk is no longer the drink of choice. With meat is the same thing. I don't think this campaign will discriminate against anything or any commodities, but I honestly uh, am very skeptical this is going to make much of a difference domestically. Mm. I I think they should have taken the $25 million to support our commodity groups and entrepreneurs here to export and promote products elsewhere. That's what other countries are doing, and that's what we should have done.
0: Interesting. Dr. Sylvester Charlewell, always appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this.
2: My pleasure. Bye-bye
0: uh you know what and again it goes back i hate to say this because we we don't want to all sound like we are either tightwads or like we're whatever but the fact is we do shop where we get prices that we like generally most people do and it's difficult if you go to a local farmer and the price is 15 20 25 percent, and that's not always the case but if you go to a restaurant a local restaurant and the prices are considerably higher, you may be getting very high quality. You may be getting what you want and the quality for the money you're paying, but it does make you think there is a cost sometimes of shopping locally, of eating locally. And at what point do I say I am willing to pay that surplus, that surcharge, or I'm just okay to get whatever? It is a tough one, although we do... You know, obviously want to support the people, the farmers and everyone else around here
1: that are, that
0: are doing this. It's, it's, it's just not an easy situation.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: That voice you hear is the voice of Hamilton's Casey Levy doing what she does every night on Broadway, and that is playing the role of Elsa singing Let It Go on Broadway, which is a very, very cool thing to say. There's lots of people in this city who have done lots of amazing things on TV, in movies. You know most of their names, but you can make a very good case that there is nobody right now or even in the past who has made the career for herself as a live stage musical performer that Casey has she this weekend. She's going to be in town performing at the Burlington Performing Arts Centre. Probably, I would think, singing that song. Uh, Casey joins me now. Casey, thanks for doing this.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: That song, everybody knows. I mean, I, I, I didn't realize or I had forgotten Frozen only came out in 2013. That play, that movie is not that old. Everybody knows that song, though. So when you come out and sing that, you can't mess that one up. That's got to be perfect every night, right?
3: That's very true. Yeah, it's something I I've thought about from the beginning of the process. You know, there's expectations on the song, and people love the song, and they love Elsa um, as a role, and so it's definitely you know on my shoulders to come out and deliver every night.
0: And when you do, and I, and we heard in that clip, I mean, the crowd when you get to the chorus, they know what's coming. It's not like it's a surprise, and yet they react. Yep. I mean, they react in a big way.
3: Yeah, you know, it's it's been part of the magic of the song, and part of magic of hearing it live on a Broadway stage, um, in a, a real spectacle of a musical. And I think it's just a lot of joy and a lot of anticipation leading up to that moment. So the audience is ready for it. I'm ready for it. And we sort of we're in it together. It's almost like a duet with the audience when I'm out there alone singing it.
0: Can you ever hear them?
3: Totally. I mean, really? throughout the show we hear, yeah, we hear the kids, you know, being like, Alsa, Anna and kind of calling out to us. And, uh, and I do hear them humming along a little bit, but they tend to hush each other um, when I start <laughs> to sing and they sort of want to watch it unfold in front, of their, in front of their eyes.
0: Have you ever read reviews of yourself or of your performance in this play?
3: Um, I purposefully don't read them. I, what I like to do is have people I love and trust read them. So my parents, my husband, my agents, and then I kind of get the temperature overall for how they were. Um, so I, I had heard that we you know got great reviews and that was exciting. Um, but I don't like to read the specifics because I feel like if they point out something, well, if they point out something bad, obviously, then you're in your head about it. But if they point out something good, you tend to, that tends to ruin that moment for you as well. So I just find Why? it better not to know. <laughs> how,
0: if someone says something great about you, how does that ruin the moment?
3: Well, I think if they say something specific, like, oh, I loved when she did this specific thing, then it's hard to make that moment feel authentic again after knowing that somebody liked it, you know? So I try to just know that the show did well or I did well and trust that that I'm doing it for the audience that's in attendance that evening.
0: Well, you can plug your ears for the next second, though, because then for the audience here, I want to tell them, (laughs) because I looked this up, the New York Times, right when the play started, right when you came on... Uh, this is what they said, only one sentence I'll use. Casey Levy booms out her numbers with astonishing aplomb. Her let it go really is sensational. I guess if you're going to get a good review, New York Times may as well be the one you're going to get it from.
3: Hey, that's what we hope for from the Times. Thank you, New York Times. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but that that's thats now a couple years ago that they wrote that, that you yeah. have started doing this. Is it all... I mean, does every day start to blur in? How do, you, how do you keep something like this fresh every day? Because the people who are seeing you, they don't see it every day. So every day is their right. one time to see it. How do you keep that?
3: You know, I actually often talk about it like this. You know how you go to the gym or you go to your yoga class, for instance, and you're doing the same moves every day, but you, it's different every day because you're different every day? That's sort of how it is doing a, a long-running Broadway show because even though you're saying the same lines, singing the same songs, going through the same spot, you are, you know, your day leading up to the show was different. Your, you know, your family life, your work life, um, your commute to the theater, every little thing that you do kind of uh, influences you that day. And so you bring different shades and different colors to your performance every day. And that in itself keeps it fresh. Um, But also that's my job, like that is the challenge of of a long running gig. And it's a one I welcome and I tend to do well in it because I like to sort of dig into the little bits of the show and try to find new things every day and kind of challenge myself to make it fresh.
0: And this is not like it's new for you. I mean, some people, many people are going to know who you are and know your background. Some people aren't. I mean, you've been, what, Hairspray, lay Miz, Rent, uh, Wicked. What else am I forgetting that you've been in? I mean, you, you've done a yeah, lot of these big productions.
3: Um, yeah, I've been, I've been working steadily, pretty steadily on Broadway for about a decade, which is weird to say. Hmm. And, um, and it's just what has always felt like home to me, and it's a place I've always dreamed of landing. And so to make my, my life here has been really meaningful for me. And this is the first time I'm coming home to the Hamilton, Toronto area to do a concert. So it's going to be a real homecoming for me to, to come back and sort of thank everybody that supported me and flown to New York to see me in shows over the years.
0: Casey, when you say that, though, when you say, you know, I've made my living on Broadway, d- do you ever catch yourself and go, you know, that's that that's a weird thing for someone from Hamilton to say, for, <clears throat> from someone from anywhere to say?
3: Yeah, no, it's definitely not lost on me that it's really, you know, wonderful and special. And I think in this day and age, whenever anyone achieves their dreams, whatever industry they're in, it's always great to be able to, like, pause and um, be grateful for it because it's rare, you know? And um, it, it, my parents actually they've always said, you know, Hamilton has a little bit of magic and it's true. I mean, we've got Marty Short, Victor Garber, Eugene Levy, like all these giants, um, came through Hamilton. So I do feel like I've got them, you know, on my shoulders and I I look to them as my inspiration.
0: If I'm correct, you went to Westdale, right? Yeah. So Westdale, which is like, I could throw a baseball from where I'm sitting right now and hit Westdale. Did you participate? (laughs) were you in school plays at Westdale?
3: I was. David Dayler ran the theater program when I was there, as well as when my brothers were there. They're a little bit older than I am, and they went through his program as well. And he's 100% the reason I ended up in this business. Um, he totally nurtured my love of theater and put me on stage and taught me the ropes. And I'm very indebted to him and to my time at Westdale, for sure.
0: Do you remember any of the plays you were in here?
3: Oh, yeah. I did Medea, just a nice, nice light show <laughs> <laughs> for you. Um, we didn't really do musicals at Westdale that much. We did mostly plays. We did uh, a Holocaust play. We did what else did we do? Gosh, um, we were always kind of working on cause-based shows. Like we did a show about drinking and driving, stuff like that. Um, wow! And it really like taught me how to get on stage and get in front of people and sing a song and get get through my nerves and yeah
0: i, I got to say, Westdale's theater program is a little more serious than I had anticipated with the Holocaust and <laughs> drinking and driving. that's uh, there's, there's, Yeah, there's David no... Taylor
3: was not messing around. Yeah, <laughs> we Clearly like to tackle not. the
0: big issues. <laughs> Clearly not. But how does someone then go from Westdale High School, and let us I mean, it's going to maybe take a minute or two or longer, but how do you go from Westdale High School to Broadway? That seems like a cosmic leap.
3: Yeah, well, it is and it isn't. I grew up going to see a lot of theater because my parents are big theater goers and my brothers loved it and did it. And so I, of course, wanted to be just like my brothers. Um, But I did show an interest in singing and dancing and acting really young. And so I was in lessons whenever I could, but I never acted professionally or anything as a child. Um, And it was when I was in high school that I got very serious and I started to research different performing arts programs, mostly in New York, because I just loved the idea of being able to move to New York and Luckily, my parents were very supportive, um, if a little worried, but I think mostly, you mm. know, trusted that I was very serious because I spent a lot of time working on this kind of stuff. And um, I auditioned for Juilliard and I didn't get in and I thought I would end up going to um, school in Toronto, like at George Brown or Ryerson and study Shakespeare and end up in, um, you know, uh, the Stratford Festival. That was sort of my goal at the time. But I'd been to New York once and was totally swept away by the magic of Broadway. And I always loved musicals. And I auditioned for a school in New York. And when I got in, um, we all thought, this is sort of like a once in a lifetime chance. Let's go for it. And with my parents' support, I moved here at 19. And I've been based in New York ever since
0: say you've been in all these different plays. When you come up, when this play comes up, when Frozen, which is, I mean, is fair to say your biggest, uh, it has to be your biggest role and your biggest play to this point, right?
3: I think it is. Yeah. And definitely the most um, commercial well-known thing I've done. Yeah.
0: So when this comes up, and I'm assuming you had to audition for this part, they didn't just come and hand it to you. You had to do this. Oh yeah. What's the, (laughs) when you walk in, what's that? like cuz you know for someone who is now in the position you are there's going to be a lot of people who say oh she was totally comfortable she must just feel totally relaxed and that's just her. i i i would find that very hard to believe if that was the case
3: well you know it's years and years of auditioning like you have to remember every actor that works they still get no get told no all the time so just because I've done a lot of Broadway shows doesn't mean I haven't auditioned for many more that I never got a call back for or I didn't or I lost the job in the final hour to somebody else, which happens constantly. so like I often tell people when you're a working actor, your real job is the auditioning, even when you have a, a show on Broadway eight shows a week, you're auditioning constantly so there is um, a whole skill set to that, and you do get used to going in and auditioning. Um, and you do become more comfortable with it, and it's not life and death every single time you're singing in front of somebody. But that said, you have, of course have nerves, and there's you know it's high stakes, and some jobs you want more than others. So by the time I went in for Frozen, I had originated several roles in Broadway shows, and casting directors in town have seen me, and and I've worked with some directors you know a couple times in a row now. So I'm at a different place in my career auditioning for Frozen than I was when I auditioned for Hairspray, for instance, which was. Uh, like 15 years ago. So like it all, yeah, it all's is connected, like work begets work, but it certainly is not the kind of thing where I'm just offered roles. I definitely audition. I definitely put the work in and sometimes I get the job and, and a lot of times I don't, you know, it's it, just part of the business. <laughs> there's
0: there's certainly no disputing how talented you are, but do, do you look at it like it's also, there's a part of a... I don't want to use the word luck, that, that that's the wrong word, but right place, right time, right auditioner, that everything sort of happens in a way that works for you that yeah. day. Do you believe that?
3: I think, I do. I believe a part of that. I think that you obviously have to have the skills to do the job, so you have to have the talent, but if you don't work hard at it and you don't have the discipline to prepare for the audition, then the luck probably won't come your way because... I find for myself anyways, and, and I teach a lot, um, and, and my kids that I teach, like at the, the college level, um, preparation is really the thing that like, allows you to be free in the audition room and, and really be spontaneous and really inhabit a role. So if you don't know your lines, for instance, you can't really go in and put a mark on a character. But if you are memorized and you're comfortable and you don't have to think, what am I saying next, then you can really be free in the room and you can inhabit this role, and that's when I think some magic can happen. So if you know luck can be yours but you have to work for it a little bit.
0: Well, there's another part of this that I don't that strikes me as unique because everybody has seen the movie Frozen, the play is not a word for word song for song imitation of mm-hmm. the movie and you created this was a, this was a new play that you were doing so mm-hmm. you're not imitating what the artists have drawn for the Disney movie. There there would seem to be a lot more room for you to come in and As long as you can sing and as long as you know the lines, there's room to try stuff.
3: Absolutely. That was the really exciting thing about this whole process is that there are 12 new songs on the Broadway show. So they um, very much wanted myself and my co-star, Patty, who plays Anna, Patty Murin, to um, discover these characters because we were the first people to inhabit them. You know, they were animated cartoon characters before us. So it was really exciting because we wanted to honor, obviously everything that works so beautifully about Frozen, the movie, but we wanted to kind of kick it up a level and um, deepen it with the characters, especially with Elsa, who we don't get to hear as much from in the movie. They've written two new songs for me, one in the first act called Dangerous to Dream, which is like all about Elsa's um, struggles with missing her sister and wanting to be close to her, even though she can't be. Um, That really deepens her story. And then in the second act, there's a song called Monster, which is when Elsa's on the run and and aware that she has kind of ruined everything and how is she going to put the pieces back together? Um, So those are two examples of great moments in the stage version that we don't have in the film.
0: You mentioned, we only have a couple minutes left here, I wish we had more time, but you mentioned that you're doing (laughs) this eight times a week. Look, I don't care what job you have, even if it's something as cool as this. There are going to be times when that grind gets to you. How do you – and maybe you touched on this a bit at the beginning, but how do you find that energy and that enthusiasm and, you know, something's going wrong at home or you're not feeling yeah. up to – what? how do you do – because, again, you – people have paid their money to see you at your best mm-hmm. and to see the play at its best. How do you do that?
3: Yeah, it takes um, a healthy amount of sacrifice to be able to get on stage live eight shows a week and deliver. So it's a lot of negotiating. I have, um, I have an almost four-year-old son, and um, we have a troop of babysitters <laughs> and a spreadsheet of people that are coming to help at different times because he's in <laughs> school, but he gets done early, and I have auditions, but I have to get to the gym, and I have to take a nap, and I can't talk all the time, and you know all of these things we have to sort of figure out. And my husband is amazing. Um, and a total partner in parenting, but he's also a theater professor about two hours from New York city. So he commutes there. So he's gone quite a lot. So it it really creates, um, the need for like a network of people to rely on and, and then it requires me to just do all the regular things like take care of my voice and don't drink a second glass of wine and don't talk on the phone for hours a day, you know, those kinds of things. kind of have the discipline to put myself to bed early enough that I can wake up and sing the next
0: morning. And don't do 15-minute interviews with Hamilton Radio.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, for Hamilton, I'll do anything.
0: <laughs> Just before I let you go, I have to think that, I mean, there are lots of jobs that when someone asks you what you do, you're at a cocktail party or whatever, and people don't know they're meeting you, that would sound cool. What is the response when they say, what do you And You go, well, I, I mean, I don't know if you say I play Elsa on, in Frozen on Broadway, or if you say, well, I'm an actor, but when they find out, what's the reaction?
3: Yeah, it sort of depends on what answer I give. I try, what do you usually give? Strangers to, oh, well, I try not to drop the Elsa thing too quickly. I, I like to keep that in my back pocket and not really broadcast it. But, like, you know, if I'm doing drop-offs with my son at 8.30 in the morning looking like hell with no makeup on and people are like, <laughs> we heard your Elsa. I'm like, yeah, I am. But um, right now I'm I'm barely functioning and I need more coffee. You know, so I try to just, like, avoid it. But when I say I'm an actor, most people go, oh, how nice. And they move on because they don't want to ask me if I have a job or not. (laughs) (laughs) But when they find out you're Elsa? Um, Well, when they find out I'm Elsa, then they tend to get a little excited um, slash embarrassed that they maybe thought I was unemployed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And what happens when you go to your kid's class? Because everybody in his class has to know what you do and has to probably think Frozen is the awesomest thing ever.
3: Yeah. You know what? I'll, I will say it's really wonderful having um, a small child while playing this part because that is the only time I have milked this position <laughs> was like preschool application for your job. I was like, Elsa and Frozen on Broadway. I will drop it for my kid, that's for sure. But uh, <laughs> when it comes to me, I don't like to <laughs> broadcast it too much. But yeah, his uh, his classmates, they're all coming to see the show actually because I finished my run February 16th, so it'll be almost three years that I've been playing the role. And um, they're all coming right before I finish, and I'm going to, you know, give them a backstage tour and make it really special for my son and his friends.
0: Well, I hope that, uh, I don't know if they have a class president for four-year-olds, but uh, he should run because he will win. (laughs) As soon as they see that and know what mom does, he is in guaranteed. He's the most popular kid in school, I guarantee it. Uh, Casey (laughs) Casey Levy, uh, as I say, Hamilton. Westdale grad plays Elsa on Broadway and uh, is home at Burlington Performing Arts Center January 25th. For a concert, you can go on their website. You can find it there. Uh, Casey, listen, I really appreciate you taking some time. I'll let you go and rest your voice now because I know you got to do more important things with it. But thank you so much for your time.
3: <laughs> thank you for having me. I can't wait to be back in Hamilton.
1: That is Casey Levy. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.
0: The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.